Thanks for tuning in to Leesburg Daily, a Monday through Friday podcast where we read scripture together, study it, and apply it to our lives. Today we pick up our study in the Gospel of John. We've been in chapter 5, and we pick up in verse 30, and we will finish this chapter today, uh, Lord willing. It's a good little chunk, but let's remember what's happening. Jesus, uh, this is one one of the major uh, sections of Jesus' uh, teaching uh, in, in the Gospel of John, and uh Oh, this is the first time we really have a, a large speaking, uh, uh, teaching uh, environment here. Uh, and so Jesus has been teaching and, and talking about his authority and, 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 and uh, that he is doing the will of the Father. We finished last week and we saw that uh, there is a day now and, a, and, and still a day coming where there will be judgment executed. And that authority has been given to Jesus. And now we pick up in verse 30, and Jesus continues this type of teaching. Uh, Let's read it together. We'll read a couple verses, stop, talk about it, and then keep going. Uh, Verse 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And that's just pause there and remember that we talked about last week. Uh, one of the defining characteristics of Jesus is that he uh, is fully submitted to the will of the Father. Um, he's not working for his own advantage. He's not doing things for his own uh, desire. Uh, but in fact, he is doing the will of the Father throughout his life. He lives a life of perfect obedience. And we see this echoed throughout the teaching of the New Testament. Uh, Jesus perfectly submitted to the Father's will. In verse 31, he says, if I, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed, is not deemed true. Now, let's, uh, let's point out here that Jesus is now going into a section of teaching where he's going to use a lot of legal-type uh, talk. Um, uh, in the first century world, in the Jewish world, um, much of this has to do with... Um, uh, the calling of witnesses is what we'll see. Uh, and, and Jesus speaks here as if he were on trial. The Jewish legal procedure uh, was not based on the interrogation of the accused, uh, but instead it was uh, an examination of, of the witnesses that were brought into the case. Uh, and I think that's a very important thing to, to realize here. Um, according to the law, in, in Deuteronomy, for example, there had to be at least two or three witnesses to a crime. Uh, and it was, it was later specified that no one could bear witness about himself in the Jewish law. Um, and Though in some circumstances that was without a doubt unavoidable. Uh, but, but these opponents that uh, Jesus has, has already started to build opponents, uh, people who weren't happy with him, if we, we can remember why. Um, at first in Jerusalem, uh, if you look back a couple chapters, they were thrilled with Jesus and what he had done in, the, in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, but then he, he ransacked the temple. We see that Jesus had followers uh, at the wedding. Uh, we see Jesus, uh, people liked the signs and the miracles that Jesus had done. Uh, but then we see that with the healing of the man at the pool in, chapter, in the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus began to have opponents that started to rise up against him because he would violate the Sabbath law. And so Jesus starts to speak here as if he's on trial. 
and, and uh, I think that's kind of a, a, a neat thing. Uh, in situations where there was only one witness, the court would simply have to make up its mind uh, whether or not to take that person's word for it. Uh, they might require an oath on the ground that God would punish the person uh, if they were found guilty. But Jesus appeals uh, to his father's testimony. And essentially in providing uh, a testimony or appealing to his father's testimony, uh, he's basically saying, who can argue against this? Let's look uh, together as we read. Um, verse 32, Jesus, well, verse 31, Jesus said, I, I, I can't testify about myself. Um, uh, there is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent John, and he has borne witness to the truth. So he's referring there to John the Baptist. He's saying John the Baptist is is a um, uh, a witness of mine. Uh, you've seen him, you've heard him, and he pointed you to me. Uh, not that the testimony that I receive from from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. Again, we see Jesus uh, while he's giving a defense here of sorts. Um, his desire is that people uh, be saved. Uh, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. There he's talking again about John the Baptist. He was a burning and shining lamp. Um, he had a very uh, successful uh, uh, ministry. Uh, people really liked John and his message. Uh, uh, Jesus said, look, people came. You rejoiced for a while in his life. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So we have a first witness called as John the Baptist. He says there's the first witness. The second witness is, uh, of course, the most ultimate witness here is the Father, as previously mentioned. But I guess then the third witness would be the works uh, that you have seen. The works that I'm doing bear witness about me, they, and they bear witness that the Father has sent me. Verse 37, and the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. So we have John the Baptist and his testimony. We have the testimony of the works. And now in verse 37, the Father has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. In verse 38, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So Jesus is saying, guys, look, the Father has sent me, and you don't believe me because you don't know his words. His words aren't abiding in you. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This is huge because this is the fourth uh, witness that's called upon here. And that's the Old Testament word. Now, this is a much long, larger topic for another day. But it is worthy of pointing out that, that according to Jesus, and as we well know, anyone who studies the, the Bible, we, we see that uh, Jesus is uh, the red thread that runs throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus is uh, uh, is throughout the Old Testament as well. I sometimes we'll hear some churches um, 
talk about, well, we're a New Testament church. You know, I think, how can you be a New Testament church without the Old Testament? Uh, and often they don't mean it like that, uh, but it's something to point out. Jesus says the Old Testament points to me. It testifies to me. So we have four witnesses that are witnesses that are called upon here in this section. We have John the Baptist as the testimony of Jesus. Uh, who pointed people to Jesus. We have God himself who points people to Jesus in, in the work that he has given Jesus. And that work is the third sign. And then the, the fourth witness is the, the word, the scriptures. You know, again, I'm reminded of the danger that we have often today is, is to know the Bible, is to know the Old Testament and the New Testament, and know a lot of trivia about the Bible and yet miss the main point, which is the Christ of the Bible. In, in Jesus' reference to this fourth witness, we have the clearest expression of the Christian view of the Old Testament. Uh, th this Christ-centered understanding of the scriptures affirms uh, it, and is affirmed throughout the New Testament and throughout the history of the church. Jesus is the Word. And we see that, uh, again, John started off this this. this letter, this gospel about Jesus being the Word incarnate. And again, we have the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the Word, the point of reference for all of the words of Scripture. Again, the importance of Scripture should be affirmed here. Uh, but Scripture is, is presented as a means to an end, uh, and that is they witness and point to Jesus. And so for the New Testament authors, Jesus is the key to interpretation of the Old Testament. And our passage today affirms that they got this view from Jesus himself. Jesus says the Old Testament scriptures point to me as a witness. And again, look at uh, Jesus in verse 40. Jesus says, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, these these words of the scripture don't just point to Jesus, that, that these just had knowledge. It points to the opportunity for life, life that's been expressed previously in this, in, in this gospel uh, with the woman at the well uh, and, and the opportunity for everlasting life, uh, the healing of the official son, the, the man at the pool that was healed and, and brought to a new type of life. Um, Jesus brings with him new life verse 41 i do not receive glory from people now he's going to start to contrast himself and his jewish opponents uh, often in this uh, uh legal type system the one on trial uh would often turn the tables on the accuser and so that's what jesus does here he says look i don't i don't come to get glory from people but i know that you do not have the love of God within you. Boom, that's a rough statement to hear from God in the flesh. Jesus says in verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Jesus says, guys, you're so focused on receiving glory from one another that you've missed and you are missing the fact that I am sent from God and my works testify about me. My words testify about me. John the Baptist has testified about me. The Father testifies about me. And yet you do not 
see it because you're so enamored with each other. Um, look at verse uh, 43. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you would receive him. How will you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. So Jesus says, I'm not going to be your accuser. I'm not going to be the one that points to your dullness, your lack of understanding, your lack of uh, of perception. It won't be me. Instead, look who it's going to be. This is a, this is a neat turn. Uh, there's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Whoa, well, Moses is the one that's going to be accused. Um, Jesus won't accuse them. They will be judged uh, in the end by the light that they have embraced. And that light is Moses, uh, on whom they've set their hope. Look at verse 45. Uh, here again we, again, we have a great blow to their identity. Jesus has undercut uh, the views that they hold of themselves as zealous for God. They thought that they were good, pious, loyal uh, uh, Jews. And yet Jesus has been saying, look, you're missing the point, And you keep wanting to hold up Moses in the Old Testament. But that Old Testament and Moses himself point to me. Therefore, Moses himself will be their uh, accuser. Uh, Moses will be their accuser. Uh, though they have believed that Moses would be their intercessor in the past as he had in the Old Testament, um, God had used Moses as a witness against the people in the past, and this role will be fulfilled and expanded once again. In his witness to Jesus, Moses is a witness against the Jewish opponents. Uh, this is huge. I mean, this is a shock to the Jewish structure. Despite their claims, they don't really believe Moses. Why is that? Well, because if they were open to Moses, if they listened to Moses, whom they claim, say and claim to honor, they would have faith in Jesus because Moses points to Jesus. Let's keep going there. Um, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So let's consider this passage, this passage today in, in terms of application for just a moment. Uh, the implications of this text today uh, should be both comforting and challenging. That Jesus is the final and the ultimate revelation of God by which we uh, may judge all other revelation gives Christians confidence or should give us confidence. And what I mean by that is uh, many people today will claim to be of Christ or to be Christian, uh, but Jesus talks about uh, elsewhere that, that a prophet is judged uh, by the fruit that he bears. And the same is true for us today. Uh, how, well, how can you judge a quality of a Christian? Well, by the fruit that he bears. Uh, the, the, the fact that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God should give us confidence. But it also ups the ante when it comes to understanding the, the fullness of who Christ is. As Sammy talked about this weekend, this past weekend, there's a growing push to have a religious-sounding uh, uh, world religion. Uh and the, and the stuff and the teachings and the common and the, the unity and the peace all sound very good, uh, but the problem is they lead to destruction. Uh, and so our passage today reminds us the centrality of 
who Jesus is and, and the importance of remembering uh, exactly who Jesus is. You know, we live in a day where uh, the, this idea of peace and love and grace and uh, unity is, is really pushed in our world. And it's made to sound very religious. And it, and it makes many people uh, second guess or doubt or downplay the exclusivity of Jesus. You know, often uh, it's said that Jesus welcomes everyone. And while that's true, not everyone stays with Jesus. <laughs> you know, w when it comes to unity and peace with others, we sh definitely should have peace with others. There's no doubt that the Jews and the Christians had major conflict in the first century and second and third centuries. And throughout history, Christians have had uh, conflicts with other people. Uh, but here's the the sad truth about our world is that there's always conflict with someone. There's always going to be conflict because there are selfish, mean people in this world. We'll never be able to eliminate any of that. Uh, but what we should not uh, do is cower or bend the truth. Jesus makes very clear here that he is from the Father and he's doing the Father's works. And, and that should, for the Christian today, and for the non-Christian, really challenge us to consider uh, our views on Jesus. Do we see him as exclusively the, the divine incarnate? Is he the Son of God, fully God, fully man? Now, Jesus is exclusive. He, his claims to divinity make him exclusive. He's not just one of many paths to God. He is the path to God. He is, a correct belief in him is primary, uh, and yet it divides many of us today. Uh, this is not a secondary matter. This is the heart of the gospel. The identity of who Jesus is, is huge. And so this text should solidify our views on the divinity of Jesus. And also it should encourage us to point more and more to Jesus. Uh, we are now witnesses. Those of us who call ourselves Christians are now witnesses who testify on Christ's behalf. And our lives should point uh, others to Jesus. Well, we are 18 minutes in and I'd better stop. Uh, but I want to say thank you so much for tuning in today to Leesburg Daily. I'm sorry for the inconsistency this past week. Uh, we will do better this week. Uh, thank you so much. Again, always feel free to leave a voicemail uh, in the podcast service that you use. Uh, feel free to reach out if you have any questions, comments. Uh, may we take this passage today and apply it to our lives. May we be central and sure of Jesus' identity, and may we point others because we, those of us who, who have surrendered our lives to Christ, we are now witnesses whose job it is to point to Jesus. Thanks so much. God bless. Take care. We will see you tomorrow on Leesburg Daily.